Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. And it was the one job that he had vowed growing up he would never take, was to become a factory rat. That's what they called him. Because everybody where he grew up uh, ended up as factory rats and spent their whole lives working inside of a giant box making uh, automobiles and uh, complaining about it. And so that young man had said he'd never do it. But when they offered them five times the amount of money per hour that he'd ever made, he quickly signed up. And it's only for a summer. You know, how bad can it be? Um, he was hired in, and <clears throat> this young man made a friend in the same group that got hired in with him. They were the same age, and it was third shift, so they were making even more. And every morning, him and his buddy would go out drinking at 7 o'clock in the morning because <laughs> that was what you do after work, even though it's third shift. And, you know, they were hanging out. And then after a while, a month or so, his buddy stopped showing up in the morning. And, um, and so he would just go back to the hotel that he was staying at and, um, you know, go to sleep and wake up and go back to work. And was really, in this time of his life, very, very uh, disconnected and aware of how empty he was inside. Even though he grew up in a nominal Christian home, and what, what I mean by nominal Christian home is that uh, he went to church uh, as a kid because his parents took him to church. Yeah, but by this time in his life, he had really renounced the faith and was born into drinking and smoking dope and just going to parties and having a good time. Uh, but if he was honest, he would have admitted that he was lost. He was empty, and he didn't know the purpose of life, and he didn't know uh, where to go or, or what was right or what was wrong. Well, that young man was me 40 years ago. And one night, <clears throat> Lenny, his buddy that had stopped coming, showed up with a friend, an older man who was a, a Mexican-American. Um, and uh, Lenny introduced me to this uh, Hispanic guy whose name was Jaime, which is how you pronounce Jamie in, in, Mex in Spanish. And Jaime was um you know he was about one thing talking about jesus and very quickly was was talking to me about about where i was spiritually and we talked a little bit at the break and uh he wanted to talk more and so uh, uh the next break we actually a longer break in the lunch break we went outside and uh behind the factory and he was asking questions and he asked one particular question that I, I remember. I didn't know at the time that this was a standard evangelistic question. Uh, I don't know if I've told this story here before, but um, it ties into my message. So he asked me, uh, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? And I looked him straight in the eyes and I said, well, I, I'd go to heaven. And, that, and when I said that in my heart, I, was, I said to myself, dude, you are halfway to hell already. You got one foot in hell and you're telling them you go to heaven? 
And then Jaime goes, oh, that's interesting. Uh, why? Why do you think you go to heaven? And then I said, because I'm honest with God. And inside I said, you lying! He's a dirt! I was lying to the guy. Because inside I knew I was in halfway to hell already. But I was giving him a religious answer. And it didn't deter Jaime. He said, well, good, you should have someone pray for you. And I, was, I grew up in a Lutheran church. That meant you went away and did something in private. and No one ever saw anybody else pray. I didn't even know what that looked like. <laughs> but I was like, I was like, Jaime, if you want to pray for me, I'd love it. Sure, go ahead, pray for me. I, I thought he would just go away and pray somewhere. <clears throat> or probably forget about it, like most people do. Uh, and uh, he said, great. When we get off work, we'll get together and pray together. I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. What? But I was a cool, hip college student. I went, sure, sounds cool. We'll do that. So at the end of the shift, <clears throat> we walk out of the building, walking out into the parking lot. Across the, from the parking lot is this little, small little park. You can still go to it. It's called Cooley Gardens in uh, Lansing. And it's surrounded by a giant hedge. I had never been in the park. Uh, and you can't see inside the park because of this hedge is as tall as this tent. And I said, hey, if we're going to pray, let's go into that nice pretty park and pray, not in the park, not in the parking lot. And so they went to the look at the back gate. I walked around to the front gate. And uh, as I was walking over there, um, Jaime shared a verse with me from Hebrews chapter 4, 11. He says, uh, and he read that the word of God is alive and powerful, uh, alive and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, and no one can hide from him whom we have to deal with. What he didn't know was that the, that previous evening, before I was went to work that night, God visited me in a dream, and in the dream, I saw. Uh, the head of a, a king was, I knew it was a king because I could see the crown but he was so bright and the face was so brilliant I couldn't make out the features like the eyes or the nose it was just like the, the brilliance of the sun but I could see the crown and in front of him was this giant sword two-edged sword just coming directly at me and behind and on both sides of him were pillars covered with ivy and as this king a kingly figure approached me I was terrified. I knew that I, I, he was more powerful than I could ever imagine. And in my dream or vision, I had actually was awake getting ready to go to work and, and passed out or fell asleep. I don't even, or went into a vision. I don't know. All I know is that I was unconscious having this vision. And in this vision, as the king was approaching me, I got down on one knee and I said, I'm not here to conquer, I'm here to serve. And as soon as I said that, I was awake in my bed in the Green Acres Motel. <laughs> Seriously, in Lansing, shaking, covering with sweat, knowing I'd had a, a spiritual experience, but not knowing what it meant. That night was when Jaime came to me and said, do you know Jesus? Where would you go if you went to, if you died tonight? That, that following morning as we were leaving work, he read that scripture, for the word of God is alive and and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. When we said the two-edged sword, I was like, how in the world did this guy know about my dream? I mean, I was I was shaking inside. I was like, this is really weird. 
Right? What am I getting into? And then they went around to the back. I went to the front of the park to see if the gate was open. And the gate was open. Not only was it open, but there was a gazebo porch type structure with pillars covered with ivy. And I turned to say, guys, it's open this way. And I saw the pillars and it hit me like a brick in my chest that this was the place I had the dream, even though I'd never been there before. This was where I'd had the encounter with God the night before in my dream or vision. And, I, uh, and Lenny came in, there was another friend that came in, and I sat down cross-legged on the grass uh, as we normally would do. But Jaime came in last and he says, oh no. He says, when you meet with God, you need to kneel. And he knelt down on one knee, just like this, with his Bible in his hand, the same way that I knelt in my dream. And those three things just shook my whole being. And I actually rolled forward onto my knees, shaking and trembling. Jaime had the perception that God was doing something and immediately led me into a prayer of salvation. And uh, I've been serving the Lord Jesus ever since. So Jesus showed up to me in a dream and then sent a man to preach the gospel to lead me into relationship with him. And we're talking about the flavor of new day. And this is a, the last message in that. We talked about being presence-based. We talked about community. And uh, I can't remember the first thing. <laughs> there's, there's one other aspect. Presence-based, community, the fire values. <clears throat> there we go. And this, which is we're about making disciples and multiplying churches. And Jesus' life was all about making disciples in Matthew chapter 4 18 just the beginning of the story of Jesus's ministry Jesus was walking it says along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he saw two brothers Simon also called Peter and Andrew and throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living they were fishermen and Jesus called out to them come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people and they left their nets at once and followed him. So Jesus demonstrated uh, what it means to be a, a Christian. Yeah, that's why he came. Uh, and so we are to follow Christ and we are to pattern our life after him. What did Jesus do? He made disciples. Like Jaime in my life, Jesus went to where they were. Okay? To the workplace. And it was in the workplace that Jesus called people into relationship with him. He got out into the real world. Church, church I, you know, I love the gathering together of the saints, and this should be a place where, where we can bring non-Christians or nominal Christians or Christians that are disconnected from God's family, and people need to get saved in church services. But this is primarily a place of equipping so that you can be sent out into the world to make a difference. And that difference is the message of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior for salvation. And Jesus invited them into a relationship with, with him, to do life with him. He said, come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. He did not require an immediate uh, ascent to a list of doctrinal statements. All right? This is really important. How did Jesus do evangelism? He didn't convince Peter everything he had to believe before he was accepted into Jesus' discipleship program, right? 
just said, follow me. No can just do life with me. <clears throat> he, he invited them into relationship because that's what Christianity is all about. In another uh, story, Jesus in, in Luke chapter 14, verse 23, it's the parable of the great banquet. I love this image. I'm not going to talk about the whole parable. It's a great parable. Just one, one phrase from it. It says, the master representing God said to the servants representing us, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Going out to bring people in so that God's house can be full is a kingdom principle. It's going out and bringing in and going out and bringing in and going out and bringing in. Going out into the world, into the places where people don't know Jesus or are disconnected from God. Uh, you know, they don't behave in ways that we uh, are comfortable with because they, why should they? They're not a Christian. You know, they don't have the Holy Spirit. We can't expect people without the Holy Spirit and without the knowledge of God and without uh, 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 saving faith, without the life of Jesus in them to live like Christians. Okay, that's incoherent. Does, am I making sense? All right. Of course they're going to be they're sinners. And Jesus went to where the sinners were. And you know what? The sinners listened to him. And the religious people were offended by him. It tells us something huge about what it means to be a Christ follower. That we're willing to get around messy people to communicate the kingdom of God. Just like Jaime was willing to talk to this young, know-it-all, dope-smoking, <laughs> Florida Alec named Cameron. <laughs> he was willing to talk to me and tell me about Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful that Jaime did that because you know Jaime doesn't uh, he does know I'm a pastor he has no idea the impact of his life he has no idea that I, he led a lot of people to the Lord and and everybody got saved that summer almost all of us ended up in ministry Lenny became a pastor in Texas uh, and you know, and here all the churches that I've been been able to plant, and people I've led to the Lord, and missions that we've been able to do, and and the churches, all all the work that we've done as as the three New Day churches and the South Carolina church, and all this work is the result of one man overcoming barriers of race and ethnicity and. Uh, economic. I was a college student. He was a factory worker and would never become anything more than that. Uh, and he just shared the love of Jesus. And then he invited me in his house. I ended up living the rest of the summer in his house and, and spent every day. That's what being the church is about. Going out and bringing people in in today's context. 21st century. So it looks different in today's context. And I love that right after Jesus invited Peter and Andrew into relationship he wanted them them to see that this is what it's all about and so he he, he immediately went and uh, called James and John like we don't know how much later but in this in the in the text it was right after uh, James uh, Peter and Andrew started following Jesus like they just walked down the road a little bit and there's James and John and he said the same thing to them 
And so James and John come in, and they think Peter and Andrew are like the, you know, they've been around for a while. They know what's going on. They don't know anything. Except that this is what, this is what following Jesus is all about. You invite people into relationship to do life together so that you become more Christ-like. And they did that for the next three years with Jesus. And everywhere they went, they gathered more people into relationship. Um, often, you know, in the church, it's, it's taught, it's expected, it's kind of, kind of ingrained that you preach salvation until someone gets saved. And then you disciple them and you teach them how, what it means to be a Christian. But it's interesting that that's not how it was done in the Bible. Okay? And if you read how Jesus did evangelism, he actually uh, just started discipling them until they started discipling other people. All right? So you don't preach until salvation and then disciple. You disciple until eventually they realize they're not a Christian and they become a Christian. They learn enough to realize. I've actually been in meetings where I'm teaching people and they'll go, wait a minute. I remember this one situation, this young man, he was honest. Uh, I was actually doing pre-marriage counseling. And uh, I was uh, explaining what it means to be a Christian. And, uh, and what it means to be a Christian to have a Christian marriage. And he said, excuse me, what you're describing, even though he had grown up attending church, he said, what you're describing, I've never experienced. He's like, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I don't think I am one. And you know what I said? You can't marry this woman. You need to... No. I said, that's wonderful that you've realized that. Would you like to become a Christ follower right now? It's very easy. He said, like, yeah. How do I do it? Simple. You believe Jesus died on the cross for your sin? Yeah, I do. Do you believe that God raised him from the dead? Yes. I, I believe that to be true. Are you willing to commit your whole life uh, to follow him as a disciple? Yes. You were out with sin. And I just led him in a prayer of salvation. And he got saved. And, and they got married. And it's all happy. All right? <laughs> you know, <clears throat> but if I started out with, are you saved? You know, he would say, yeah. And then that moment never would have happened. And so discipling is is not is not like an add-on. It's, it's making disciples is what we're called to do. And, it's, and, it's, and, it's, and, it's, and salvation is not repeating a phrase or agreeing to some statement. It's about doing life together and inviting others into that life of following Christ so that they can learn how to follow Christ by watching you follow Christ. And you can learn how to follow Christ better by watching them follow Christ. And we do life together, becoming more Christ-like in the process. That's what Christianity really is all about. And Matthew uh, 28, 18, this is the final statement that Jesus said to his fledgling church. This was after Jesus' life, his, his arrest, his beating, his crucifixion, his death, his burial. After the resurrection and where he appeared and, and ministered to uh, hundreds and hundreds of people in many different uh, places. And, and he told his, his main disciples to meet him on, a, on a, a particular mountain at a particular time. And so they showed up. And so this is right before the ascension when Jesus ascended into heaven to sit on the right hand of the Father. Jesus came and spoke to them. So they're gathered on this mountain. And he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
Go therefore and make disciples. This is what Lord Jesus wants us to do as a church. This is our calling. This is the drumbeat that, that the church moves forward to throughout the centuries. Is to make disciples. And church, we cannot get comfortable having enough people in the tent <laughs> or the building or the small group so that, you know what, we have enough friends that we can, we can be comfortable. We have enough money coming in that we can pay a pastor. We've, we've, and that's where most churches plateau because they, they think it's about themselves or reaching a particular goal to where they're, they're comfortable enough. But, and they lose sight of the command of our Lord Jesus Christ to make disciples. And saints, it, you know, it's, it, in one sense, it's no harder than it's ever been to make disciples. But it's our day, okay? This is our generation. You are the army of God for this day. And there is no other. And we're called to make disciples. The vision of this church, the reason we're here, and the reason I've invested, what, the last eight, how, when did we start working on this? Is At least eight years ago, ten. <clears throat> I've invested all of this time, energy, money, and effort into building this church is because there's over 50,000 people in Cass County, and most of them don't have connection with God or connection with a, a, a group of, of fellow believers that they can do life together. And my heart breaks for them, and God's heart breaks for them. Can we get 1%? Wouldn't that be great? 500 people. How about 10%? 5,000. How about 10 churches of 1%? Scattered about Cass County. Uh, we can do this, all right? Why? Because God, Jesus said all authority was given to him, and then he delegates that authority to us. For what purpose? To make disciples of all the nations, starting here. This is our territory. This is our mission base. And then, of course, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've, uh, I've taught you to observe. Um, and then he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Making disciples is the primary mission of the church. Therefore, it is the primary mission of our church, this church. And that's why we're here. And it has to stay in the front line. Uh, uh, it has to be what we're really about. Now, I want to explain a little bit about uh, what I mean by making disciples, because it's not just the conversion experience. And that's where we make a mistake when we think that it's just about getting people to say the sinner's prayer. Making a disciple is like having a kid. <laughs> you know, it really is. And you don't just have a kid and say, wow, nine months, had the baby, glad that's over with. Right? That's not the end, is it? That's just the beginning. And it never ends, does it? It never ends. Because they're always your kid, and you're always caring for them, you're always concerned for them. And so it's the same thing as making disciples, and so it includes everything we do as a church. So this is part of making disciples. The weekend service is really important. It's our one open public service. Most of the rest of the stuff are more private in nature, small groups, Bible studies, inner, inner focus stuff. This is like doors open. We want people to come in. Uh, and we want people to come in, in in any setting, but this particularly is designed for that. But this is part of making disciples and growing that disciple from a basic believer 
into a full-fledged follower of Christ. It includes children's ministry, teaching them the truths of, of Christ from a young age. And, and so many people look back to a, a Sunday school teacher that influenced them. And you might be that teacher. That's why we want you to sign up, because you need to invest in the next generation. It includes a healing and restoration prayer counseling ministry that we all have issues in our heart that we need to talk through. The Bible says, confess your sins one to another and you shall be healed. And so there's this healing process that comes through getting with people that are trained. Mark's trained. We have a whole team of people that are trained to uh, lead you through. Uh, and so if you're struggling with a sin or you're struggling with an unforgiveness or struggling with a, some issue that you're d having difficulty with, depression, anxiety, anger, whatever it is, there's, there's ministry. That's part of making disciple. Worship. How many love Jamie's, Jaime's worship? <laughs> uh, and, and that time of entering into, into God's presence through worship that's making a disciple the discipleship studies and the community groups the Bible study that Mark's doing all of these things are making disciples outreach events um, uh, when we do uh, uh, things that we've done here I remember the handing out the hams that was years ago and uh, different things that we've done that, to bless the community and find ways. And we need to get better at this. We need to figure out, and it's, this is your place, folks. How, do you, how can we connect with people to get to them to the point where you can go, so where are you spiritually? Or, you know, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? And get to a place where they can have an honest conversation with us about their spiritual state. Uh, and that, that means building trust with people that don't know us. And so uh, how can we build trust with the people in Cass County and Southwest Michigan so that we can get them to the place where they come and listen and maybe like that young man that was in my office realize, oh, I thought I was a Christian, but the way you describe it, I don't think I am. And, and there's thousands and thousands of people in your life that you pass by on a weekly basis that's just like that. And you are God's messenger to them. And we together need to work together to reach them in whatever way. So you need to ask yourself, where do you fit in? And I would challenge you to ask, where do I fit in in this discipleship-making process that is the mission of the church? And I, I love that it coincides with the serve sign-up. Because maybe that means for a season you teach Sunday school, you volunteer as an MC, or you're a greeter. Those are just small ways, but it shows a commitment to actually do something, to be a, a participant and not just a spectator. Church was never meant to be a spectator sport. Okay, we want to get everyone in the game uh, and to be equipped. So you need to participate in many of the activities of the church, as many as you can, and we understand we're a family church, we understand the demands of family, and we really work hard not to put too much expectation on people so that they neglect their family. But, you know, when we offer something, participate, get involved, and then specialize in one or two of them. So there may be something like worship team that you, you got a calling in and you want to press in and, and get better at it and become 
become a part of the worship team or you want to be the best you want to really minister to the next generation so you really you know read some books on children's ministry and you, and you get better at it um so uh each of us need to ask where do i fit in and maybe you fit in best as the person that in the workplace said listen i found a great group of people that love to worship jesus and learn about him and they're not judgmental and they're just, we're just regular people i remember one of the things that was said by someone in the community when we started talking about starting this church uh they said something like I, someone told me that they said oh you mean it's going to be a church for regular people i'm like yes that's what i want on a sign a church for regular people you know there's not this high expectation we don't want to I want people to walk in with masks on everything's happy it's, it's okay just to be you to come in and hear and in that hearing get to the place where you recognize there's more and then we as a church maybe certain ones of us uh, are better at it than others can then lead them that next step but all of you can do that all of you can lead someone else in a prayer all right if you don't know how, Dale's got this great little book called that Pass, uh, Passport, you know, and Dale's an expert at this, Dale Stoll, and uh, ask him, give him a call. He loves to talk about it. So making disciples ties in directly to the second part of our vision as a church, and that's multiplying churches. Jesus said, I say to you that you are Peter. When, this is right after uh, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? So, so this was probably years into them following Jesus, seeing him do miracles, hearing his preaching, and finally Jesus gets to the place, okay, what do you think? Now that you've been around me for a couple of years, who do you think I am? So this is the point where he's asking them to confess faith or not. And they came up with a few odd answers, and then Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you nailed it. In fact, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father from heaven. So there was a revelation that Peter had that Jesus was the Messiah. And, and, Je- and Jesus said to Peter, he says, You are Peter, and upon this rock, and that's what Peter means, rock, I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. That means the church has the power and the authority to change the spiritual atmosphere by what we do and what we say. When we're we're confessing Christ as uh, Messiah, we step into the kingdom authority that he has delegated. And there's only one thing that Jesus said he would build, and that is the church. He didn't say he would build a... Uh, you know, a conference center. He didn't say he'd build, you know, an itinerant ministry. Uh, he, he said he would build a church. And the word church is ecclesia. And it, it means something very specific. And everyone who heard that word, when Jesus said it, when Paul said it, when the, uh, the apostles said it in the first century, they knew what it meant. And we think church means a building. That's actually totally wrong. It means a people gathered together for a specific purpose. All right? People called together for a purpose. And their purpose is to worship Jesus, to make disciples, and to multiply churches. And Jesus is committed to building his church 
There is no plan B. There's no other step. It's, it's the church until Jesus returns. And it's all those who accept Christ as Lord and Savior will spend eternity with him as his bride. And that's the other term for, for church I'm going to talk about this morning is that Jesus views the church uh, not just as a gathering of misfits, but as his bride. And Paul explains this. We, we use this verse most often to teach on marriage. But he's, the, the verse was actually written to teach on understanding our, our relationship with Jesus. And marriage is just an illustration to help us understand it. It says that Christ loved the church so much he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she would be holy and without fault. So for Jesus, the church is more than a meeting, it's more than a gathering, it's more than a, a, a group of people that happen to agree to the same doctrine. It's his bride. And it's important to understand as an individual Christian, I am a Christian, but I am not the bride of Christ. As an individual Christian, apart from relationship with the body of Christ, I'm not the bride of Christ. I'm a toenail, or probably a, a foot, a toenail, yeah. I was, like, I was like, what are they called on the feet? <laughs> I'm the appendix. I can be removed and nobody will notice. No. <laughs> I'm a part of the body, but to be the bride, he's talking about the whole. All right? And as we gather and, and worship Jesus and make disciples and, and live in community, uh, then we really fulfill what it means to be the bride of Christ. And the whole book of Acts, real quickly, the book of Acts, after the Gospels, you have the book of Acts, which talks about the establishment and growth of the church. And in a, in a short time of the book of Acts, which actually spans about 50 years, most people don't realize that, uh, the church grows from Jerusalem all the way up into Europe. And the church is spreading. And you know what they did? They went from town to town making disciples. And as disciples were gathered, they plant churches, establish leadership, and they go on to the next town. And that's what we want to do as a church, <clears throat> uh, is to make disciples and then establish churches. Um, so uh, Acts is about that growing of the church. The epistles, all of the letters, um, Romans, Galatians, Corinthians, uh, all of the letters are either written to churches or pastors, Timothy, Titus. Uh, those are uh, written to pastors of churches to teach how to be the bride of Christ, how to be that spotless bride, uh, to, to encourage them and to direct them into becoming more and more like the church that Jesus died to birth. <clears throat> and that's what we are. Uh, we're working that out. We're still in the book of Acts, saints. Uh, there is no end to the book of Acts. It's still continuing until Jesus returns. And the epistles are training. And then, and then the whole book of Revelation ends with the church, the bride of Christ, uh, rejoining her, her bridegroom when Christ returns. And they live eternally together in relationship in the new heavens and the new earth. And so from the point of Jesus' ascension, 
the, the whole message of the Bible is focused on this singular thing, which is the church. And the church is about making disciples and multiplying local congregations. And that's what we're about as a congregation. And so <clears throat> as a church, you know, I, I, as a leader of a church, I've made a lot of mistakes. Uh, well, one thing I'm really glad I've done is prioritize planting churches and sending out people to uh, uh, start new churches. And that means that our church isn't a mega church uh, uh, because I'm more concerned with the expansion of the church and, and training up and releasing. Uh, I've said this before, but only uh, less than 5% of churches in North America in the history of their existence, and some churches have been around for 150, 200 years, less than 5% have ever started another church. Why? Because they're just about gathering their little, you know, clutch and sticking together. And it's, and, and, and it's good to be united and have a family atmosphere, but that becomes uh, destructive and contrary to the vision when we're so close, when a guest come in, they don't feel welcome. Churches often are very friendly, but they don't actually want to be your friend. And people pick up on that. And it's called a family reunion church, where everybody just likes to gather because they know each other and they all kind of agree together. And we have to fight against that because that's not our mission. Our mission is to find others and bring them in. And as that uh, continues, then we train people, we make the disciples, and some of them are leaders that we equip, and we launch them out, and we uh, 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 multiply churches. So making disciples, multiplying churches, and as a church, we've done that really consistently. Uh, uh, and when I took over the church, I became senior pastor. I said, you know, Mark was in the meeting. I said, my vision is really about once every five years, let's start another church. And and I didn't know I was prophesying because that's what it's been about every five years. Our first one was five years in. We planted a church in Grand Rapids. Uh, and then we uh, five years after that, we planted South Carolina Church. About five years after that, we planted this church. And it was kind of, and then, and then the Vine Church was launched actually just a year later. I kind of called them twins. <laughs> you know. And it's uh, kind of interesting. You guys came as uh, when you first came, you just had the twins, and I've always saw a connection there. And uh, now we just sent Jimmy to Detroit, and they're uh, uh, planting a church in the Detroit area. And then, additionally, as uh, we support work through Kaleo Ministries, through Partners in Harvest, and now Harvest Alliance, all the work that I do when I go to do training schools. We are planting lots of churches, especially in Mexico. They pop out churches like babies. I'm telling you, they're just like five to 10 a year. I don't know how they do it. Uh, and, and they're doing it in Tennessee too, and they have a vision to do that. So all of that is us as a church fulfilling our mission of making disciples and multiplying churches. And that's our goalpost. So when we, when Goal post. I have a slide of picture of a goalpost, a football goalpost. Two big things going up. One is making disciples, the other is multiplying churches. And when we make a disciple, that means if we bring someone into, into relationship with Jesus or advance them in their maturity level or their gifting, that's making them a disciple. That's making them a little bit more like Jesus. That's a win. That's a score. 
We celebrate that. And when we multiply a church, that's a win. That's a score for the kingdom. And it rests on, the pillow that it rests on is a passion for Jesus. Because we don't just do those things to do things. We do it out of a love for Christ. Out of our passionate commitment to do what he said because he gave his all for us. I'm going to give my all for him. And what does that mean? That means I commit my life to make disciples. I commit my life to multiply churches, raise up leaders, to do whatever I can in the short years that I have to, to see other people become the best they can be in their relationship with Christ and then whatever they're called to be. So as a church, if we pursue that goal, we're going to be fulfilling the Great Commission and we're going to be fulfilling the calling God has put on us as a congregation. And I just want to be crystal clear that that's why we're here. Um, I love all of you. I love the fruit of the labor that we've produced so far. But my vision is much, much greater than this. Okay? I, I, I can't wait until we have to build an addition because the building won't fit the number of people. But you need to have a vision for that that motivates you to actually invite people into relationship. And that brings you to a place where, like Jaime did for me, ask the question and then keep doing life together so that I became trained and understood what it meant to be a Christian and I'm uh, still doing the same thing today. Do you get that? That's our vision. That's our flavor. Making disciples, multiplying churches out of a passion for Christ. That's what we stand on. That's our goal. That's what we aim for. And in everything else, there's lots of stuff that falls under that. But we can't ever, uh, we have to make the, the main thing the main thing. And we have to keep saying, this is the main thing. Because eternal destiny rests on people's uh, uh, relationship with Jesus Christ and connection with uh, a loving Christian family. And that's what it's about. It's, it's the end game. All right? So, Father, help us be better at making disciples and multiplying churches. Lord, I pray that this congregation would understand clearly and be uh, motivated by that and willing to pay the price of, of communicating your grace to this community. And Lord, we pray for that 50,000, those 50,000 people. And it's hard to believe there's 50,000 people in Cass County. <laughs> but there are. Uh, and they're, they're lonely people that are living in houses or they're, they're busy with kids and they're, they're, they're at work or they're, they're desperate or they're doing drugs and all of these different life situations. Lord, you've called us to be part of the answer as well as every other uh, Bible preaching, Christ-following church in this community. And we pray that we can be part of the solution to the problem uh, of this nation and this community and getting to know Jesus better and coming into life with him. Amen. Listen, folks, I want to have a, a couple of minutes just to share a little more personally. That was a sermon. This is just me talking to you as as a church. I'm not going to take much longer. I know it's going on late here. But um, <clears throat> the reason we're doing this church outside, and I, I made the, I, I know I made a little video for you, and I can't remember the de how much detail I put in that video, and Mark said something, but I just want to personally communicate to you so you understand. The day before the executive order uh, mandating masks 
came that night, all night long, I wrestled with God in a dream. And I just told you my salvation. I get saved through a dream. God uses dreams and visions powerfully to influence me. That's like, bam, it's, it's something that God does. It's just the way that he communicates with me. And the whole night, every uh, 30 to 50 minutes, 45 minutes, I'd wake up and I'd be having the same dream about making a video explaining to the church that we all need to wear masks. And I'd wake up and go, what am I having this dream for? I don't even believe that. (laughs) It's not required. You know, and I'd shake my head, I'd go to the bathroom, go back to sleep, wake up with the same dream. And it was this wrestling and it wasn't until 7 o'clock in the morning I finally got uh, an hour or two of solid sleep. So I finally get up, have my coffee, actually supposed to prepare a sermon, and Mark sends me a copy of this new executive order, which required, uh, uh, you know, the whole fine and all that. And even though in that, as it has the whole time, there has been an exception for religious assembly, which I actually am thankful that this is one of the only states that they've made that exception and they've continued to uh, include the exception. I felt that that night of wrestling with that, with God, was God was telling me to require this of the church. And I was not happy about that because I knew some people would be be very upset about that. And I also have mixed feelings about the whole necessity of it. But what was very clear to me is that I either needed to obey God in mandating this for a season or not obey God. And when it comes down to that, there's only one answer for me. Whether I agree to it or not, I'm going to submit. And so, and then I thought, why, God, why? There's a couple of reasons. You know, in the order that says, you know, churches are, 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 are not subject to the penalty, but congregants are strongly recommended to wear masks. And I know that when I operate in authority as a pastor or as a parent, if I say, listen, I'm not going to force you to do that, but I, I strongly recommend you to do that. If that person under my authority dismisses it and just walks away and flippantly disregards what I say, that says something about my heart, that person's heart. And so I wanted to soberly and seriously consider this and take it take it seriously. Uh, and then say, how can we respond to it in a serious way, not being controlled or manipulated, but in an honest and serious way. So we prayerfully took some time. The other thing that came up to me, and uh, it's been reinforced, and every business owner I've talked to is going through the same issue. People are leaving, quitting, because they're forced to wear a mask or quitting because everyone's not wearing a mask. And I've had business owners just go, I did, I've, actually one business is closing because they're just sick and tired of it. Uh, and this is just, their, their spirits are broken because people are giving so much grief. I'm like, you know what? I can have compassion on that grief because I've now experienced that side of, you know, enforcing this. Um, even to the dislike of people who are participants. I just want to thank you for being flexible. And I love that you found a solution. Let's just throw up a tent and meet outside. And so this is a way that we can be respectful and demonstrate that we're not uh, 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 
just disobedient or rebellious, but we're considered and respectful, but we also respecting your uh, options. And then in the sense then, Mark and I have been talking and what we're planning to do in, in, in Kalamazoo and probably here is offer an early service with masks 100% required for those who are at high risk or those who are following medical orders that they need to not be around other people that are not wearing masks, okay? Because they need fellowship as much as those who don't think it's a big deal and may not have high risk, all right? So like Dale, he hasn't been out of his house because he has a high risk situation. And, and so we can provide a place where they, people like that can come and have fellowship, which is just as important. And then a second service where masks are, like we were doing it, masks are optional. Um, so that's where the thing, I haven't landed and known if Mark's gonna pull the trigger on that, but that's what we're talking about. So again, what we're trying to do is find creative solutions to this issue, because it's not gonna go away tomorrow. You know, you know, some people are like, once the election's over, it'll all disappear. I'm like, I hope so. You know, one way or another, we are gonna get through this, but it's important that we get through this together. So my goal as a pastor is to serve you uh, and by doing it in a way that uh, is respectful both for those who are um, uh, concerned about their health or the health of others, as well as those are who are concerned that this is just being used by uh, certain segments of uh, the liberal media or the politicians to take advantage. I understand, I understand those positions. I'm kind of in the middle. I don't really care about that. I care about preaching the gospel and leading people to Jesus, you know, and worshiping together. Um, so that's, I just wanted you to hear that, that it was God told me and convinced me and I was doing it out of obedience for a short time. And so we're hoping just for another two weeks, uh, that would be one month of adhering to that. And after that, I would feel, unless something major happens between then and now, I would feel comfortable before God saying, okay, let's go back to inside worship and let's provide another way, another service for those who uh, have health concerns. And um, does that sound good? Okay. And I really appreciate uh, you guys being flexible. And I really love this space. I actually like this. This is kind of cool. It's a little warm. <laughs> so God bless you all. And uh, thank you for, for sticking to it. And and, you know, there's a spirit of division and strife and fear that's been poured out on planet Earth. And, um, and, it, and as Christ followers, we need to stand up to that and realize the spiritual element that's at play here. And, and, and you, you win a spiritual battle by moving in the opposite spirit. And so the opposite spirit of division is unity. The opposite spirit of strife is peace. Uh, the opposite spirit of fear is uh, confidence and a, and, a, and a trust and a love uh, of, in God that, you know what? Jesus is Lord, no matter what anybody does, uh, in the end, we win. Amen? And so we don't have to give in to fear. We don't have to give in to division and strife. We need to stay true to the calling. And so I just bless you in that. And again, thank you.